This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you for being our patrons at patreon.com slash the tome show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show. And I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. And in this episode, we're going to line up all our controllers and strikers as we take inspiration from 4E and our non-4E games. And joining us for this episode, we have the man who makes all of his t- attacks using intelligence from Tribality and Edition Wars. It's Brandis Stoddard. Hello, friends. And also with us, it's the triumphant return of the Tome Show's original warlord. Coming to us from the design minds of MCDM, it's James Intercasso. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Finally. Woo-hoo. I mean, you, you were here... You probably put out about as many episodes as I did at one point uh, <laughs> in the total history of the show. Oh, uh, wow. And then you went off and because uh, you and you and Rudy, right? That's doing, right. Doing the, the round table and Gamer to Gamer and the, what is it? D&D V&G. D&D V&G. That's right. Which yes. Didn't, which yeah, didn't yeah. have a lot of episodes, but they were good episodes. They were. They were. So I'm trying yeah, to remember if you yeah. did anything else. <laughs> uh Sam uh Sam and I had a podcast for a little while called Bonus Action oh. uh on the tome that was we would discuss one rule from 5th edition yes. D&D and how it worked uh yeah. uh, uh in like for 15 minutes. That was a lot of fun too. That was yeah. a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Little, little 15 minute shorts of just like let's let's talk about how movement works for 15 minutes and then move on. Yeah. Yes. Very cool. Yeah, so so James's old school uh, tome show family here. Woo. Thank you. And so uh, today we've gathered this group back together to uh, talk about taking inspiration from 4E D&D. Uh, it's probably easy to say is the most contentious edition of the game. Mm. Yeah. According to some, at least. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> and uh, finding the gems that lovers and haters of the edition can take into their non-4E games. So that's what we're going to try to talk about today. So I thought it would be useful for people since since fourth edition is, I think it's fair to say, at least polarizing. People seem to either remember it fondly uh, slash really like it or hate it with uh, a a vitriol that that uh, uh, is not always well understood, I guess. (laughs) so I think it would be helpful for people to know where we're coming from. And so I thought it would be worth starting by talking about where all of our fourth edition experiences are. How much experience do each of us have with fourth edition? And based on the layout of my discord screen, let's start with Brandis. So um, my experience, uh, well, so my experience is still ongoing. I'm in a fourth edition game right now. Uh, it is our backup campaign when we can't get the right configuration of players to, to play 13th age. Um, it's a slightly hacked fourth edition. It's using uh, 13th age style skills and uh, a more 13th age friendly approach to treasure, but it's still basically fourth edition. Um, I, when fourth edition was the edition of record, right? Um, I ran several campaigns uh, one of them went from uh, 4th to 14th. Uh, we started that one at 4th because we had a previous one that fell apart that made it from 1st to 4th. We didn't feel like 
you know, repeating ourselves. Um, so I've played a pretty good amount of fourth edition. I've run more than I've played. Um, I'm maybe the exception that proves the rule. There are things I love about fourth. There are things that frustrate me about fourth. I'm, I'm sort of straddling there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it more than I dislike it. I'll say that much. Yeah. Uh, I'm certainly very happy to talk about it at great length. Yeah. Uh, as uh, my show with Sam, Edition Wars, proves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have Have you done any design in? Because I know you do design now. Have you done design in the fourth edition space? Uh, way back when, uh, I did a a little design in in fourth edition. Um, I uh, published a couple of adventures through the GSL with Goodman Games. Uh, they were very, very short. I was very new to freelancing and did not maybe uh, do the greatest job in the world. I'm going to be real about that. Um, I had a lot of lessons to learn about adventure writing that mm-hmm. um, are still hard, frankly. Um, but the GSL was brutal. Um, yeah. And that was that's a substantial part of what I personally resent about Fourth. Um, was the, the difficulty you know, in publishing as a freelancer they did their damnedest to put a knife in the ribs of third party publishing mm-hmm. yeah right and <laughs> last january not last month but the month the, the year before that um the, the knife came back <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it did and i think that segues well into uh uh the man who is designing a game to move away from D and D as a result of some of that, or at least in a related fashion to, to some of that, uh, James Ricasso, what is your experience with Fourth Edition? Uh, yeah, so I played Fourth Edition the like from the moment it came out. I remember driving to a game store that was two hours away because it was the closest one that had an actual playtest of fourth edition when they were doing the very short run of playtests at uh, game stores. Um, And uh, so I ran two campaigns that went from level one to 30 in that time. And I was also part of uh, the weekly game nights uh the tuesday night encounters right was that was it wednesday tuesday encounters I never uh it, it was sure. the the D encounter series i would go and run at my local game store i was living in uh atlanta for a while and i and i was sort of uh part of a group of people that would run them there um and uh and so and then i had a lot of like various one shots i also played the seventh edition of gamma world quite a bit which uses uh, the fourth edition engine uh to really great effect um i like brandis uh, i there's a lot i love about it i have a lot of fond memories of playing it i don't still play it uh so my hat is off to you sir um but uh but i do uh, there's a lot to love there's a lot that is frustrating about it as well i recently did a one shot for my friends who i played those level one to 30 games in again like bring the old character characters back and uh and it was like oh yeah there was a lot about this that i love and there was a lot about this that was frustrating that i am remembering as well um and uh and i never designed anything uh i have a lot of questions i want to ask about the gsl now because it looks like a horrible horrible license uh (laughs) although although to, to its credit 
um, they were upfront that that was the license from the beginning, as opposed to the That's recent right. the recent shenanigans wherein mm-hmm. they said this is the license and then tried to take it back. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yes. And uh, and I. Uh, so I never really designed anything with it. it was before my design days. However, the MCDM RPG that we are making now that you talked about, Jeff, um, takes a, a lot of inspiration from fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons. It is a grid based tactical combat game when you get into combat. Um, there are reasons for you to continue adventuring and not just stopping to rest, which I'm sure we'll get into when we talk about what you'll steal for your games, uh, action points forever. Um, and there are sort of always interesting things to do on your turn in combat, um, which is something that fourth edition does really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, we also have a something akin to healing surges and, and a few other bits and bobs here and there. So uh, I feel like I am designing within fourth edition often when I am working with the MCDM RPG. One of, one of the, well, the impetus behind this episode and the reason you were the first person I contacted to to get it scheduled was because of Flea Mortals. Um, mm, when I yes. looked at when I looked at Flea Mortals, like I am not a regular viewer of, of the the Matt Colville YouTube channel, so mm-hmm. so I'm vaguely aware of things going on every now and then. And I subscribe, so every now and then something will come across my feed, and I'm like, oh, I'll watch that one or whatever. But I did not know what the inspiration was behind flea mortals. And then I opened it and it's like, Oh, it is very obvious that they are trying to bring in that. What was good about fourth edition design into the fifth edition monster manual. Yes. Uh, And, and that was, that is where this episode came from. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. And thank you for, for recognizing that. In fact, the first freelance job that I got with MCDM, uh, which then turned into me working with them full time, was because Matt put out a job posting for freelance writers and it said, apply for this job if you like bringing a little fourth edition into fifth edition. And so I was like, hey, I love to do that. Let's talk. Uh, and uh, and that's how that came about. Very yeah. good. Tracy, what is your fourth edition experience and opinion? Oh, boy. Uh, so, uh, I have been around D&D in my entire life, but it is the first edition I played. And I very quickly went from player to DM. Uh, I also may have had a, a blog that some people may or may not have liked that uh, focused very heavily on 4th edition, as well as a few podcasts like 4 geeks for ye and Being On Here and a few other things. And then I also uh, have designed for it for Cobalt Press and for Wizards of the Coast and then had a column, less design, but more as we transitioned from 4th edition over to 5th edition, I had a column that helped try to bring the community together and and highlight blog posts from around the D&D community online. And um, that got published by WotC itself. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing stuff, but I, I think that's a good spattering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, I do know what else I missed. I ran. I would often run it at uh, conventions, mainly PAX East, mm-hmm. uh, New York Comic Con, and uh, Gen Con. I do remember those days of, of you sitting at a table and running throughout con- cons. Uh, well, Gen Con anyway. I didn't go to the other ones. but um, To cover my experience, I... 
I've played every edition of D&D since AD&D 2nd Edition. Um, and I am of the firm belief that every edition that I've played has been better. I have enjoyed more than the previous edition. Um, I think there are things that that 3rd 3.5 does well. Um, but after playing it for a long time, I was tired of the simulationist nitty gritty picky rules bits, uh, and 4th edition was way more fun for me during its run. Um, I played, I ran uh, at least one 1-30 to campaign, and then also several other shorter campaigns, um, and then did my transition campaign, my my end of 4th edition campaign, which was uh, Madness of Garmore Abbey, where they successfully did not um, recover the deck of many things and thus chaos entered the universe and physics and reality changed and thus fifth edition happened in, in my in-game setting. Um, I podcasted, I started the podcast during third edition, but it was towards the end of third edition. So really the formative years of this podcast started, were, were really through the fourth edition years. Uh, we're mostly through the, the fourth edition years. Um, and then so we podcasted and covered heavily throughout. I don't think I ever like did any official. I mean, I did plenty of homebrewing design for my own campaigns. I don't know that I ever did any published design for fourth edition. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There may have been something here and there, but I don't remember if anything ever got published. So, so yeah, that's my experience with fourth edition. Um, like others. I enjoyed fourth edition more than any other edition that I had played at that at the point that it came out. Um, and yet it within a year or two of playing fourth edition, there were certainly parts of the game that started to wear thin. Um, and I think that's fair, right? Um, not, I think largely, I mean, GSL aside, that's a business issue, not sure. a design issue, right? Um Design-wise, I feel like the dependence on on like mechanical keywords meant that the game, while it could support more narrative role-playing, it didn't encourage sort of that descriptive narrative role-playing. Uh, and the fact that combats would take, like a decent combat would take pretty much the entire six-hour session that I had planned for the, for the week. And I, you know, and you only get to play every other week so, it, it, at the time, so... Um, really long combats meant that we didn't do a lot of story in a lot of, in a lot of game sessions. Um, so mm-hmm. those were my issues with fourth edition, but there was a lot of things that I liked with fourth edition. In fact, I remember before fourth edition came out, I did some interviews with Watsi and I remember I interviewed, um, um, what's his last name? Andy. Collins. Andy Collins, who, who mm-hmm. was one of the designers for fourth edition, right? And I remember interviewing him uh, before it had come out and he was talking about, you know, everybody gets, um, you know, at will encounter and daily powers. And so balance is really well done and whatever. And my, you know, coming from my second edition and third edition mindset, I'm like, yeah, but doesn't that mean every character kind of feels a little bit the same? You know? And he's like, well, I suppose from the 10,000 foot view that they start to. And now I look back at that interview and I think about that interview and I think about my experience with fourth edition. And I'm like, mm, I don't think you had to go all the way to 10,000 feet before a lot of classes, a lot of characters started feeling a little bit samey. Um, there was certainly variety, but. Ranger and Rogue were especially yeah. uh, at, at danger of that 
from just from being Marshall strikers, right. the, the things that Marshall could justify doing, or in a little box. Right. The Venn, the Venn diagram overlap or sameness between classes was a lot. There was a lot more overlap in Fourth Edition than than any other version of the game. Well, so. and and one of the hard things was that uh, particularly with the amount of content they were putting out. There was no way to keep their like one of the things they could have done early on is say design wise only this type of thing is allowed for this type of class or, or character build and between the online content and all those books and stuff they, they had no way of really doing that and a lot of the design particularly with i I feel like it would be potentially with with freelancers because it was cool right it's like oh I really love this thing now I'm gonna bring it to the rogue. Uh, you know, and so there wasn't clear um, yeah. segregation there. Yeah, well, and they and they were publishing so much, like there was new classes every month, like whole new yeah. classes. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. the volume of publishing with just okay, it's martial power and arcane power and divine power, and okay, here's player's handbook too, uh, guys. Yeah, uh, what is happening? And, and so that's been really hard for a lot of people to get their heads around in the shift to fifth edition. I mean, yeah. I, you probably still wouldn't have to wait real long in one of the big uh, 5e Facebook groups to have someone complain about, you know, low support. Mm-hmm. And here we are in year 10 of fifth of edition. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, I mean, th- third was the same way, right. Where, where it was like, it seemed like the business plan was put a book out a month because yep. that's how you'll sustain. See, people forget this. Every setting is its own product line. See, people forget this, that third edition, it, most months published two books a month because there was, there was always at least a, a general D&D book and then also right. a Forgotten Realms book every single month. Right. And then oftentimes an Eberron book. or An Eberron book, you know, yeah. <laughs> I guess they didn't do Dark Sun in third, but still. Whew. Yeah, there was a lot of, product. and they were making a bunch of other role playing games at yeah. that point too, right? They were putting out Star Wars and all kinds of stuff. Oh, Star Wars Saga was part of that era too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that is not where we've got our history and our grapes uh, for Fourth Edition out of the way, but that is not why we're here today. Because one of the things that I think we can all agree on is that Fourth Edition did some things really well, and there are some things that you can see the the Fourth Edition footprint on in Fifth Edition. Um, but honestly, I feel like there are areas they could have explored more. There's more lessons they could have learned from fourth edition to make fifth edition better. And again, the impetus behind this episode is flea mortals demonstrated that for me very clearly, right? Cause you leaned a lot more heavily into, into the fourth edition sort of design space, um, to great result. But eliminating or filing off the the rough edges of what made fourth edition kind of trickier or tougher. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about those areas. What are the things that fourth edition did so brilliantly that it should be emulated, even if it's not already baked into the games you're playing? Who wants to start? Page 42. Page 42. Hell yes. Page 42. I'm still I still write that that's that's my thing. And yeah. so in the, the original Dungeon Master's Guide for fourth edition, page forty two gave you everything you needed to on the fly be able to uh change your encounter or build out new monsters, like on one page. Mm-hmm. Uh 
Awesome. Of course, you had to have some comfort level with it. But if you were at all comfortable, you could just use that page to run a game. Yep. And how brilliant was it that it was 42? Like nobody can forget. And I, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but and 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 uh, Phil Chatty DM like that was we that was our big thing was evangelizing page forty two. I really liked uh, the entire Dungeon Master's Guide from Fourth Edition. I thought was very helpful in onboarding new DMs, and I I I think of Fourth Edition as because it had so many things that were similar, which also definitely caused problems, as one of the most friendly to a new DM, right? And and that a lot of that had to do with like encounter building guidelines being really well defined and uh not breaking down as much until you get to high levels, which is a problem with every edition of, of D. Um uh I thought that the way monsters were defined, their roles, their stat blocks, right? That's one re- a big reason we made Flea Mortals was because it did feel like in some respect they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Um because the monster design in and, and just like the way stat blocks are presented in fourth edition for monsters, the way they have roles, you know, in, in fourth edition, monsters have roles like, um, you know, uh, uh, solo, right? Which is, hey, this monster is meant to be fought alone, right? Monsters have roles like brute, which is like, hey, this monster is real big and going to hit hard, but also right. they are easy to hit, right? This monster has a role like soldier. They protect other monsters and they have high defenses, so or it's artil- harder to or damage. artillery. Uh, yeah. yeah, no. So that's one of the things I like that you brought back in Flea Mortals is is those those key like fourth edition leaned too hard into keywords, mechanical keywords. Definitely. And I don't need I don't need my monsters to be so restricted into those roles that they can't they don't feel like a goblin who could both shoot a bow and pull a sword, you know, because they can do that, right? Um and it felt harder to sort of justify that decision in a fourth edition stat block. But as a DM who's running a dozen different creatures in any given session, I like having a quick one word cheat sheet to, to help me figure out, okay, how, what, what is this character? What is this monster's role? I don't want to have to like read through and analyze the the statistics to the for every single monster right before an encounter to figure out what I'm going to do for each one. But if I see, oh, this is artillery, okay, I kind of know what I should be trying to do mostly with this creature, right? Yeah, and having yeah. that mixture of of what those uh, what your monsters are doing helps you, particularly if you have a diverse party, make sure you have a challenge for everyone. So it's not just mm-hmm. like it's it's really key for that too because otherwise you have to look at what all of your players have um like their their characters have and then try to figure out good challenges for them if that's like your thing it's not everybody's thing whereas with the the roles and the the keywords as as much as you can go too far with it it does help you remember oh you know what all of these are brutes like uh maybe i should add something else in here right yes better building better building in terms of mix it up with roles was really, really good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that uh, showed up more in the DMG2. Uh, yes. Fourth edition's DMG2 will go down in history as one of the greats. Yeah, yeah. F- for real. Um, Beautiful. Uh, like, that book stands up really well 
if you are running fifth edition, I'm gonna say go buy the fourth edition DMG two. You you only stand to gain. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the idea of, of assigning roles to monsters, I think you can as without having it be oh this monster is artillery and it and it mostly just functions well as artillery. Like I could see like when I'm building an encounter adding keywords to the monsters to be like, okay, well, in this encounter, this ogre is going to act like a brute. But later on, they're going to run into an ogre and it's going to be across the chasm and it's going to act like an artillery. But if I just assign when I'm planning my encounters, when I if I assign simple roles like that, even if they're not mechanically built to only do that thing well, uh, if I assign those roles to them, it's going to make my DMing easier because I'm going to be able to look at a glance. Okay. That's right. This was my plan. I wanted to, to jump in and, and make, you know, mix things up and have the ogre be an artillery this time instead of a brute. And I think that was another thing that fourth edition did really well, which was, you know, and we did this in Flea Mortals, right? So I, I've thought a lot about this part of, of the discussion nice. uh, just because I've been steeped in it for so long. But like the fact that you would open up your monster manual and you would go to ogres and there wasn't just one ogre, right? There might be a couple of different ogres. You'd go to goblin and there'd be a whole bunch of different entries, mm -hmm. right? That you could use because then if you wanted to, you know, um, you know, you go to cultist, right? And it's like, Oh, look at all these cultists I have. Now I can build an encounter with all of these different cultists. Um, that kind of thing is really super helpful uh, in, in, Instead of saying like, oh, okay, now I have a cultist and a cult fanatic and they kind of do the same thing once just a little bit more powerful. What else? I guess maybe they have giant spiders in here and right, like all of that kind of thing is harder to do in fifth edition because you don't have those roles, but you also just don't have more variety across your stat blocks. I feel like sometimes I'd rather have a bunch of like humanoid characters right because that's often what we run into instead of like a bunch of individual monsters uh which th that tended to you know those those monster manuals would have stat blocks for everything and multiples usually of of each which was right. great but i think yep. i think you can you can you can create some of that by taking the same stat block okay i've got i've got my horde of i don't know seven kobolds that they're fighting right but i've assigned that three of them are going to act like I don't know. They're going to be the frontline fighters, whether you would call them soldiers or I have a hard time calling a kobold a brute, but whatever you call them, right? Some, something's going to be up front taking the hits and these other four are going to be my my hang out in the back, take a shot, duck away, sort of. sort of. That helps me as a DM with encounter design without having to create different stat blocks if I don't have them. Or that's just buy the mortals and use the different versions that are there. That sort of touches on one of the other differences where like you talked about a couple taking hits, plural. Uh -huh. yeah. In fifth edition, are they now? Are they? Well, sometimes uh, they weren't really in fourth either. But yeah, well, right. But you'd have a few more monsters who are like, yeah, I've got about fifteen, twenty hit points. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a few hits. Uh, yeah. Because it is a soldier. Like the fact that it's a kobold tells you more about its level than anything else but within first level soldier that's still a, a fair pool of hit points yeah yep that's true and i think we're we're in this vein i think one of the the areas to talk about that fourth edition encouraged well and there's no reason 
like it wasn't a unique thing to fourth edition design, but it was just sort of part of the culture of fourth edition in, was that encounter designs really heavily encouraged like interesting, fantastic locations to have fights in. Like there, yeah. it, it was really rare to just have a fight of like, you're in a forest, here's the trees, there's the bad guys, there's the good guys, go, right? It was always like, oh, and except there's this weird obelisk over here. And if you touch it and make an arcana check, you can have this effect, you know, whatever. There was always weird, fantastic things in like 95% of encounters in fourth edition. Um, and and that, that too is something that got a lot stronger in the DMG2 and in mm -hmm. the Dark Sun books. They were really good about adding weird magical hazards. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of magical hazards, um, various kinds of dangerous terrain, and also um, terrain-based attacks where you could, but you got an actual damage expression for um, maybe it's swinging down on the chandelier or mm -hmm. cutting the chandelier on the bad guy or, or whatever, right? Uh, that kind of use the physical space that, that leaning into the physicality was good. Yeah, um, no. And, and like I said, it's, it's a completely doable thing. Like the first time I really remember seeing an encounter designed to, to make it take advantage of, of weird, fantastic things was actually a third edition in Eberron adventure. Uh, I believe it was a, a, a an encounter in eyes of the Lich queen. Um, and yes. there, there is an encounter where you're like on these swinging platforms fighting a, 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 a cantaloth uh, over a pit of lava. And there's mechanical effects of the swing and the lava and the heat. And, you know, and, and that's the first time I remember that happening. And then fourth edition just leaned into it and it did that with every encounter. And then fifth edition seems to have just sort of said, you know what, never mind. Uh, cool. You know, th there's there's things in fifth edition There there are. There is support for doing it, but if you look at the encounters that they actually publish, there's very little of that happening. Well, one of the things, I think they've tried to keep a little bit of it for 5th edition. I, I just can't remember for sure, but with 4th edition, one of the things is you have the math that underlies everything. So you start creating those um, those different hazards and stuff like that, and the math still adds up correctly, which you know is a plus and minus. Um, but in fourth edition, you didn't have to sit down with a spell list and say the wizard, the bad guy wizard gets these spells and the spells work the same between the player characters or the, you know, the NPCs type of stuff where uh, I know for the stuff I've done, that's more 3.5 ish. You're supposed to keep closer to all of this is part of the, um, narrative or, uh, part of the environment. And I think there's still some of that more in fifth edition because some people really hated it, to be honest, that they didn't, they wanted it all to make sense somewhere other than in the math. I mean, I, I'm that guy. I, I want spells to be narrative objects with, with reasonably consistent meaning. I don't mm -hmm. care if the NPC's fireball does six dice, 66 rather than 86. That's not important, but I, I want it to be a spell that behaves like a spell. Mm-hmm. And uh, not sort of oh this is a special ability and can't be countered. Yes, that, that's a that's a problem. It's on my, it's on my nerves. Um, that's, yeah, that's a, I like special abilities. I'd rather have 
this guy has made his totally cool, awesome thing that's all its own, and you're not going to be able to guess it just because he had like right, right. It's it's great for the NPC, but like it it's great for the NPC by shutting down a PC ability and just taking it away. Like oh, like I I just I just, I actually disagree with it, but that's because there's different ways of, of viewing it. So it's it's awesome that you like I don't know how to put it, but well. It, to I, I me, know. it's never taken away a PC's ability just because an NPC does something totally different in a totally different way. This thing behaves very much like a spell, but we've not classed it as a spell, so you can't counter it, and it works fine in anti-magic zones. Well, and that's, that actually goes to my original issue of everything in 4th edition tying into keywords. Right. If it doesn't have that spell keyword, then then sure. Fifth edition, I feel like backed off on, on that a little bit. And if a DM wants to interpret that special ability as a spell, then it functions like a spell because uh, it's not so reliant on those mechanical keywords to 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 work all the time. There's a little bit more room for interpretation. And I know what I know. I, I know what you're. <laughs> I know where you're going with that, uh, and I get that too. But here's here's where I'm at whether we classify those special abilities as spells or not, because I would argue that the more recent revamp of how Wizards is designing 5th edition monsters has actually gone a little bit back towards the 4th edition with spellcasting, and that they're just listing it as a, a lot of those mm-hmm. basic spells they do a lot as just an ability um, that they can do all day long sort of stuff. Um, I like it for logistical reasons. Uh, as a dungeon master, it drives me up the wall in in third edition and in fifth edition to have a spell list. If yes. I wasn't using D and D Beyond, if I don't want to be reliant on D and D Beyond, it is a huge pain in the ass for me to have to look up fifteen different spells for this monster they're fighting and figure out what they do in the middle of a fight and slow everything down to do it. It drives yes. me nuts. Fourth edition, that was never the case, right? Because you had everything was a, a power and they were all spelled out right there. I don't like that it's that it was different narratively. It wasn't great for for world building, which I think is uh, part of Brandis's concerns. Um, but I liked the logistics of I can just pick up a stat block and everything I need to run the thing is right there in the stat block. I don't have to go look things up. Um, I think what they've done recently with Monsters in 5th Edition is, has moved a little closer to that while still leaving the, the yeah. spell list in place. But some of the things are there, so I don't have to go look up the more common spells they're going to cast. Um, if it means yes. that we're nerfing PCs that or that the narrative of the world doesn't make as much sense anymore, then that's a different issue. And, and as a DM, that's where I have to ignore the rules and... Uh, and do my own thing, and that's a little bit of what we're talking about: is how what, what things do we well, want to change or how yeah, to make it work. What's funny about that is that whether or not it actually interferes with the world often will depend on on where where you are in your own D and D journey, right? So, like the the idea that you can always counter magic and counter magic works a certain way comes more from a history of D and D that not everyone shares. I mean. No, it comes from fifth edition <laughs> because there is no counterspell spell, right? Before fifth, counterspelling is a weird action that it was the breaking concentration, wasn't it? Before then, what's that? Like the idea that that a lot of spells had concentration and you could break it. 
so so yes there, there's a there's a way you can counter someone's spell in third it's a it's a cluster. It, what a it mess. It starts with a spellcraft check. And yeah, I'm just saying, like, for fourth edition, which did not have any, really, any of that, right? Yeah. And if right, you I, came I in there and you had not played D&D before, you never would have, like, yeah. one... I don't, I'm, I'm not sure anybody would care if whether or not you had that ability going forward. But if you right. had the ability in the past to do it, or you know that it came from different these magic systems that came from these books that you know like quite honestly most of the folks today haven't necessarily read like there like if you came from that you'll care and if you didn't you won't and then it's like what what's going to happen with the ne- with the next version right if i may throw out a plug for flea mortals uh, <laughs> oh yeah so 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 one thing that we did because this you know i think the concern of like hey i have this counter spell I think it should work on this priest's holy fire ability, which is works like a flame strike, but not exactly. Um, we essentially, what we did was we went through for abilities like that and we just gave them a spell level, right? And we said, this that functions as a yes. sixth <laughs> level spell. Answer. And that's, and guess what? You, but it's just, it's just that this monster has it, right? And so I think there are ways to marry the two so that you can have cool, unique monster abilities that are in the stat block that are convenient, right? Um, and make sense. And then also appease a player who has taken Counterspell. I do think, I agree with you, Tracy, that the problem for me lies in Counterspell. I don't think it's a very fun spell to begin with. Um, uh, 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 because it stinks from the player side when you well, get counterspelled. Yeah. I think, I, I think uh, it's a very fun spell for the person casting counterspell. Because <laughs> being able to say, nope, is, it's kind of enjoyable. Yeah. So, But I, I, I think there's a lot of... Uh, like, when I see that in a stat block, when, when they start to write out abilities and write out... There was a period of time where they would write out uh, like a spell description too, right? They would be like, this character can cast Fireball. Here's what Fireball does. Here's what lightning bolt does. If it was a spell that was used in combat, um, and I'm sad that they in fifth edition now seem to not exactly do that anymore with mm. with full spells. They just have gone back to the spell list. Um, so yeah, but it is. I, I think there are lots of things that you can pull from fourth edition to make creatures easier to run um and still say like if there's something that you don't like if there's something in fifth edition that you're like but i wish i wish that these things had spell levels you can just give them spell levels right and that kind of thing if if you're pulling it for your game and i think it's important to uh, uh when we're designing game stuff people will often say like are you gonna have uh story advancement for characters like are, are you gonna have an option that says in your game they can level up when the director wants them to instead of following experience points and it's like well sure but you can just do like that is literally you can just do that if you want to uh but people want to know they have the option often right and so i think it's they want to have permission yeah they want to have permission absolutely yeah well and you want the game design to be strong right and i think I think the le- the 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 lesson here isn't isn't just pick up flea mortals, uh, but but also, <laughs> but also that you, maybe you want more monsters than just what's available in flea mortals. Every now and then you want yeah. something that's not there. I, I'm I love the devils that are there, but boy, they're not a replacement for the other devils that already exist in the monster manual. <laughs> correct. So, correct. Um, 
and I just finished Descent into Avernus, so I needed a lot of devil. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but besides that, I think there's value in in working up spell lists when you've got the big bad coming up and you know they've got a spell list going on. Having those ready to go, those spells ready to go, so you're not looking them up uh, in fourth edition style. Um, I would even go so far as to say, go ahead and and buy or or print off uh, a collection of spell cards and just pull the the specific you know five to ten cards you need for the spells that are likely to be cast and have them there, so you can uh, don't have to stop the game to look to look things up, and then it runs more like a fourth edition stat block, which I also get. Why going back to spellless is a thing because those some of those stat blocks got to be like monsters that just ate up page count, but um, but boy, they were handy to run. I have yeah. a potentially contentious one to bring up, and that's yeah. skill Ooh. challenges. Yes, I mean, yes, it was on my I list. Let's talk skill challenges. I love the idea of skill challenges. <laughs> so uh, they, they they solve they solve a potential problem. Uh, yep. It all depends on how you decide to do it. And that is that uh, particularly if you want to do a non-combat solution to or a larger scale, how do they how do they meet a goal? Uh, it's a good way to uh, frame that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually used them in um, the Lost City. We use them uh, depending on how you interact it with some of the random encounters. You we you kind of like tallied up and then it uh, helped show which way the story would go going forward, which I I thought I liked, obviously because I did it. Um, but yeah, that, those were my thoughts on it. But I'd love to hear more. No, I, I I had skill challenges on my list as well, and I think the key to me, like skill challenges, are a great framework for presenting a skill based challenge to your your PCs that they need to overcome and tracking whether or not they as a group are being successful, but giving everybody something to do that, that adds some variety and it comes together narratively and whatever. The trick was it makes a great framework for a dungeon master. It doesn't make a great mechanical thing for everybody to sort of gamify, if that makes <laughs> sense, right? I think if the dungeon master is keeping in mind, this is a skill challenges, here's kind of the things that they might be able to do. You know, I'm going to keep track of successes and and, and failures and, and have results of that in the background, but I'm not going to tell them they're in a skill challenge. I'm just going to present them a scenario and ask them what they do, right? And then track and then tell them what skills to roll in order to get there and make sure everybody has a chance to participate, right? Um if we if you run skill challenges without letting people know they're they're in a skill challenge, I think they work really well. And then just focus on the narrative. Um, I I agree with that. I think that in both fourth edition and fifth edition to run a skill challenge, you need to decide for yourself ahead of time what PCs are allowed to accomplish with a spell or a definite subclass ability or class ability that says, you know, you can definitely do this thing with or without a role uh, in place of or in addition to a skill check. You need to figure out how to handle that because in in 4th edition and in 5th, we're in a times where, like, I have the spell that seems like it should wrap up the whole problem and put a bow on it. 
Um, but we don't have enough successes yet. And mm-hmm. like, I, I, I spend my spell and then fail the Arcana check is a, is a real feels bad. It's, a, it, it's sort of extra feels bad for, so, so narratively, there's nothing left to accomplish, but we lost because something. Right. So um, I, have, I have two solutions to that, right? And, and, uh, hmm. and I think they're, they're yeah, the solutions. I'm, I'm not saying it can't be with. solved. Right. I'm saying uh, if you're going to do this, solve that. Solve that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think there, there's a DM, there's, there's, I mean, this is true in a lot of life, right? I talked to my the, the students I, that I teach that are preparing to become teachers when they talk about lesson planning, right? You have a plan, but part of the reason you have a plan is so that you can throw away the plan when you realize it's necessary, but can still kind of know where your target is, where you're, where you're trying to get to, right? Uh, whether it's lesson planning or skill challenges, right? You have your, or, or encounter design or what the outline of your adventure is going to be or whatever, right? Um, you, you do, you as a, as a DM plan, this is how the skills are going to work in order for them to overcome the thing. But if they find a solution that, you know, they cast a spell and they spend that resource and they don't want to make a bunch of skill checks, then like, cool, you know, be prepared to just throw the the baby out and, and, and build from what they, what they did. Right. Well, other, and, and- Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the other thing I would I would do is if I'm feeling particularly creative and some nights I am and some nights I'm playing the game and my brain's just not there and I I, I just say okay you, you you cast the spell and it's done right or you you did this thing with this skill check and it doesn't make narrative sense to keep going so you you finished it right you you're successful um, but if I'm feeling particularly creative that night my brain is sharp um, I could definitely see on the fly being being able to come up with like okay yeah you you totally overcame that challenge but here's another challenge that you weren't anticipating you know and and that way you could kind of keep it going and keep it alive um as long as you're not doing it in a way that's ham-fisted and and feels to the players like you're taking something taking their success away from them um you know if you can sell it like oh this is always the plan there's this other thing behind the door once you got through that figured out that puzzle or, or whatever it was you know um then that's a potential solution as well and then and my suggestion is never use skill challenges in the way that they literally were first introduced in terms yeah. of you're making a bunch of skill checks and you're trying to figure out success or failure like that's 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 not a great way i'm sorry whoever yeah. did it but Oh, I can I can tell you who did it because I talked to my <laughs> girls about it at Origins in 2008. I, I don't want to throw. I'm not. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I just like no. they're oh, way better but, if if you. Okay, but but he, but he said the same thing when I when I saw him in 2008 and asked him like, talk to me about skill challenges. He's like, okay, so the way it's written in the book is not the way you should run skill challenges. I'm like, yeah, no, okay. no, no, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I I've talked to him about it before too. And it's just it's. Uh, but it's hard to explain it to people and it's hard to come up with a good example that people are going to grok uh, right away. But if you, if it's more like, you know, if they get this many successes, this is the path and this, the many failures, here's the challenge that gets added in. It can sometimes be better. Um, and, and that way too, if they end up using a spell, it's not like, uh, oh man, I, just totally like screwed everything like it, it, like just feeling that bad it, it shouldn't happen that's that's hard i really wish that watsi had ever published that 
Yeah. Because even when they updated skill challenges in the DMG2, they did not write what you just said, nope, which is much better. Which is, you know, <laughs> which is really all we're talking about. is just track your successes and failures and have a sense in, in your head of how many successes you need before X number of failures. Uh, and right. the and failures it, happen it, at it, challenges. Right. It, it's the, what is the consequence of failure? Yeah. Like you fail this many times, things get worse. You don't lose the whole situation is right. great because the, in, in both models, the, the math around your number of failures is a problem, right? That, that right. failure track is quite short and you need a lot of successes and dice don't do that. Yeah. You well, can't rely yeah. on them. They will betray you. Right. No, dice don't always do that, but dice tend to do that because people tend to lean into the skills they're good at. And so the odds uh, of success so, are... So that's actually the other problem. You you wind up with whole characters who have nothing to contribute mm-hmm. if the skill challenge wants things they, they can't do. So their optimal action is just aid another. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not a failure. So they... They just need to aid another and start stacking plus twos. That is not awesome. But, but if, they that, don't, if they don't know they're in a skill challenge, they're just narratively trying to overcome a challenge. Um, right. Then and and then different. if you're tracking failures and punishing failures, then that's sort of a rug pull. So, but yes, I, I agree with you. So right. This conversation <laughs> brings up another interesting thing about 4E and, and one of the reasons why skill challenges are hard, particularly as they they're, were originally written. And that's for 4th edition um, really tried to separate out some of that skill stuff from your overall char- character's ability to do things, right? Because like in 3rd edition, the skills were a lot different and there was these whole areas with feats and everything else that you could just go really poorly and your character will never work as well as you thought. And they said, get rid of that. We'll, we'll really free up the narrative part of the game and, and your ability to use skills. I'm not saying that they always succeed it. And then they bring in skill challenges and they do it specifically saying that it's about you rolling your skill checks and getting this many successes and or versus failures type stuff, which brought it back in. And that's, I think, what's coming what's coming up here as we're talking through it. And that that is a hard part. Because um, yes. that is one of the things I did like about 4th edition was the fact that you could narratively do a lot more it wasn't everything had to have a uh st- uh, a crunch related mm-hmm. to it yeah especially after third edition right there was a lot of uh, that was that was like the defining feature of third edition was you can do everything because there is a rule for everything mm-hmm. right and and Ooh. so yeah, and taking off, like pulling back from that. And some people then, you know, their response to fourth edition was like, but how do I role play? And it was like, well, we just let you do it, right? Um, which I think for some people isn't enough support, right? They right. they want to feel some sort of bigger reward for that. They want they want to have the tools to engage with that more. Um, it doesn't feel like it's part of the game. So it was definitely an interesting thing when it happened. I just want to throw out there that I agree with everything everybody's saying about skill challenges and also that the skill challenge in Keep on the Shadowfell, the introduction is like, you're talking to a ghost and the ghost is like, who's good at doing backflips? Somebody show me some backflip <laughs> just to get the character who does acrobatics in there like that. It, it's the height of like, this is not how you should do skill challenges. Right. Um, 
So I, I totally agree. What on that, on the back of that, like the whole idea of, Hey, uh, wasting a, a spell, like a spell resource, right. Be it a spell slot or a daily or encounter power or whatever. Right. Um, doesn't feel good. One of the things that I really like about fourth edition was many powers, particularly those that cost uh, that daily resource had a miss effect. And I really, really like that, right? Like if you've ever been a wizard in fifth edition, who's failed to disintegrate something. Um, and then they did nothing happens. And that high level spell slot is gone. Right. Uh, or if you, it's your first level and you're a cleric and you use one of your first level spell slots to cast guiding bolt instead of heal someone. God forbid, right? Like, and you miss, that feels awful. So having something that like, hey, you didn't do as much as you thought, but you still did something um, is is something that I really appreciated. Those miss effects I, I really liked. And, and I think that's something you could bring in to your 5e game fairly easily, particularly with those spells that cost a lot, right? Like, it doesn't even need to be half damage, right? Could be quarter damage uh or, or something like that um because obviously the fact that they don't do half damage is factored into the balance of their spell and that sort of thing but if right. you don't want it to feel crappy you can if you use the the math to go real fast it's treat every die as if it rolled a one there you go yeah that's great yeah no this this conversation uh led me to realize oh somehow stupidly because I've been playing this other game and, and reading it and actually designed in the space a little bit, but it occurs to me that Torg Eternity, uh, my, my favorite non D and D game that I never get to play enough of, uh, oh. does a skill challenge, like has a skill challenge, like mechanic that, uh, plays out differently. It's called a dramatic skill resolution. Um, and, and every single dramatic skill resolution scene has four steps how you accomplish those four steps might vary based off of, you know, what you try to do and how you try to overcome whatever obstacle you run into or whatever. Uh, but to, to make it extra cinematic, right, there's a card mechanic, like a card initiative mechanic. And as you flip over each round of, of the cards, there's either an A, B, C, or D, or sometimes there's an A and a C or, or an A, C, D, or, you know, or whatever, right? There's some combination of A, B, C, and D on the card, and you can only complete the steps in the order but you can only complete it if if it's showed up on the card that round so if you're you know if you're in your if you've already completed a but b doesn't come up the opportunity to complete step b doesn't come you know it's a very different system um but it it only occurs to me now that oh somebody was very much trying to take skill challenges and make them cinematic and function within the torg rule set uh there and and you know i found that when i've 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 torn the dramatic skill resolution completely out of Torg in the past and used it for chase scenes uh, and the Torg version of chase scenes um, using the dramatic skill resolution mechanic works really well for D and D. That's great. Yeah. Like one of the ways I like using the framework, um, I did it in sickness in Springdale, which is an adventure I wrote um, and, and had published uh, you. It was about figuring out how the Lady of the Woods was going to react to you having been traipsing through our woods and doing and having a bunch of encounters. And so encounters themselves and what you decided to do in them could impact over could be itself a success or failure. Yes. Skill challenges is a broader meta structure. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. 
That's yeah. good. That's, yeah. that's absolutely great. Uh, I'd like to talk to you all yes. about action points today. Okay. Your um, Lord and Savior action points? Our Lord and Savior action So there's... <laughs> There's a lot of things to like. So there was this mechanic called action points where you started the day with one action point and you could spend an action point on your turn to take an extra action on your turn, which was cool, powerful, always useful, right? Like that's that's a re- generic resource that everybody wants to use because action economy is, uh, you know, the thing that is going to help you win an encounter. Um, and so having more actions gives your heroic characters an edge in these fights. But what I really liked about them was the milestone system, which was every time you completed two encounters, um, right, you would get another action point. And when you rested, your action points would reset to one, whether you had zero or whether you had five. Um, And what was cool about that was that it, in a very small way, helped limit the five-minute workday, right? Because sometimes characters would look at their sheet and say like, oh, oh, we might get another action point if we press ahead, right? Um, and I, honestly, the pull of the action point was not necessarily worth enough because like the pull of getting your daily powers, especially once you had more than one, uh, uh, was worth more in terms of resting. But that idea of giving players some little reward or some big reward to press on, right, is is cool. I think the action point itself is cool, but the idea of like, hey, if you don't rest now, if you or if you only take a short rest instead of a long rest, you will get X, Y, or Z as a mechanical bonus is great reinforcement, right? We, we always can add the ticking clock in there as the DM, so the... The ritual is gonna go off. The you know the uh, the hostages. Uh, who knows what will happen to them? Whatever your cup of tea is for for ticking clock, right? But giving players a, a carrot instead of a stick for pressing on can be very very effective. Mm-hmm. Oh, punish the players! No, what? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, oh, go ahead. So, in addition to action points, there's another thing they did. I, I cracked open my Adventurer's Vault 2 a couple of days ago because I was really stuck for some ideas. I just wanted to go back to a very different well. And what you see in there is a lot of magic items have milestone kickers. Yes. The magic item delivers a better effect if you have passed X many milestones. Usually one, but I'm sure if I dug, I'd hit ones that wanted you to go go further and my magic item has a limit break oh yeah yeah let's do cool. this that's kind of bad so yeah. cool <laughs> yeah absolutely rules uh yeah. maybe if i were designing a new game i would have the the, the wit to include such a thing that's a good idea and i'm going to definitely steal that next time i because i am i am prone to creating a uh a magic item here or there for my campaigns. And usually I steal liberally from um, the, the vestiges of divergence concept where they have like the three tiers and they level up as the players level up and hit hit different things. But I could totally see designing a, a a magic item like that, that, that one of the, you, you get to this tier and now all of a sudden you've unlocked this, this milestone. And then you get to the, to the, the, what is it? The exalted tier or whatever the top tier 
uh, awakening of the magic item is. And now, now you can get all the way to your limit break. If you can get through five encounters yeah. today, you know, yeah. <laughs> so the early nineties earth dawn called. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Would you like to spend your experience points on your magic item? Mm-hmm. Yes. I have that one. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, action points were are interesting. I would... I have a strong nostalgia for action points, but it doesn't come from 4th edition. Um, I believe mm-hmm. action points as I know them were first introduced with Eberron in Eberron, because they baby. were cinematic. And you could do more than just get an extra action with them. You got there were yeah. all kinds of different options, and I really liked the action points from Eberron that had you know five different options of cool things you could do with them that are useful. Um, and I don't know why they simplified it so much in, in fourth edition. Um, well, because uh, making them refresh when you leveled, yeah, really hurt my soul. That's true. Because you you needed to play with a meta knowledge of when you were going to level. I that's the yes. one thing I could not stand about those. But I think there's a I think there's a strong mashup of Eberron third edition action points and fourth edition action points where you can find a sweet spot. Honestly, I do it a little bit with inspiration in fifth edition. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I I don't remember to do inspiration during a session. So my solution is I do an opening question at the beginning of every beginning of every session. And then everybody who answers my opening question, which is everybody gets an inspiration point for the session. Right. Uh, and oh. then if they don't use it by the end of the session, it goes back to me and they can earn the next one, the next session. And you can only ever have one. Uh, but, but I, I also have house ruled inspiration enough to, to make it a little, it's not, you know, spend it to get advantage. It's you can spend it for a reroll and you can spend it for somebody else. And, I've tried. I've played around with it a little bit with being able to spend it for and um, like helping increase or maximize your damage on on one attack or you know that kind of stuff. Um, so so there's more options. So I've I've, I've brought in. I actually read th- back through the action points from Eberron in third edition to get some ideas of things I could do with inspiration points, and I, and that's where I've sort of brought in action points from nice. third third slash fourth in my fifth edition game, and it's worked pretty well. Hell yeah. Uh, so I, I want to call it one more thing uh, that I really liked. And I don't know how you'd handle it in fifth, but if I ever crack that, I am, I'm, I'm set for life, guys. I'm set. So, I, so in a lot of ways, Paragon Paths became subclasses. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can accept my premise or not, but... I would say that a lot of the like specialization of concept into a, a, a narrower story that you got with Paragon Paths is now happening in subclasses. There's nothing really holding the space of Epic Destinies. And that would be nice to see as a a big, hard-hitting world-changing character choice mm-hmm. somewhere in the late game. Let's let's call it in the 15th to 17th range because it doesn't need to happen in lower-level games, frankly. Like, it's mm-hmm. okay for, if it's super late. Um, yeah. Even if that means it doesn't get supported in official content other than, like, two, two adventures, but we can move on. And, and Paragon um, Paths slash third edition prestige classes 
and and epic destinies are kind of like extra classes you could take but you don't get them until you reach a certain level and meet the prerequisites right and and they're more more narrative they're more specialized right Uh, paragon paths um had fewer prereqs other than you're said to be the right class or species or whichever right uh as opposed to you need a base tech bonus of plus five right uh you know eight skill ranks in this thing and yeah prestige mm -hmm. classes were a problematic approach to that like I was all about well, them in my third year. Revolutionary when they hit. I'll, yeah, I'll say absolutely. That. They were. And Paragon Paths and Epic Destinies were an improvement on that. Um, and, they were. And doing bring and, that into fifth edition would require some interesting design space and some probably some third party support. So if I know any designers that, that are interested in that kind of stuff, I will let them know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, like it's just really cool to be able to have something that you can point to that says, like, here is how I'm transcending. Yes. Yes. Right? Because it is this, like, the Epic Destiny has got to be real dramatic. Mm-hmm. They were a big deal in terms of statement about the world. Um, probably one of their closest cognates in other games is one unique things in 13th Age. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, and, and, and the fifth edition answer to that is is like these these boons or blessings and things that you get uh, from from powerful beings, but they're not Ooh. they're not world shaking. They're not they don't define your character um, in, in right. at, like at all, really. Uh, they're just like oftentimes they're like a, a one or three time ability that you get, and then it goes away. Um, so it's not it like the, it's it's kind of in that space, but it's not anywhere close to the same. Right. It, well, the, the epic boons that you really don't take till post twentieth, right? Could do that, mm-hmm. but they're more just super feats. Sure. And I mean, I love a super feat, but <laughs> have you um, ever played or looked at Fantasy Age? I have, because Fantasy Age does a little bit of. of paragon I've actually, sort of thing. I've actually written a bit for Fantasy Age Second Edition. Okay. Don't. Um, yeah, good good buddy of mine is the um, line developer now. Oh, nice. Who's line developing now? Does it some, did it change? Uh, uh, Ian Lemke is Ian handling Fantasy Age uh, Second Ed stuff now. It, line developer maybe the maybe the wrong term i haven't but, checked but, he, but he's working on on, on the he, he's product. working on it and getting to you know yeah are my dumbass for I it, recognize so. the name but yeah no i played a little bit of fantasy age and i and i backed the the second edition and have have read through it um but haven't had a chance to play it yet but it it does some things like that as well where you've got your base like because there's only like what four classes three classes to start off with Right, right. Uh, but then you customize because there's like basically their paragon path tier yeah. classes, and you pick up those, and you can cross all over the place. So you could have your fighter who takes the weird magic, you know, second well, class right. or expertise and, uh, or whatever they call it. Yeah, and Shadow of the Demon Lord is also a real big oh. one for that. Oh, yeah, Shadow uh, of the Demon Lord. I learned play, learned how to play that game from James Intricasso. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We had so so much fun. That was so much fun. Um, yeah, we it uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord does have a really great system uh, for 
customizing your character in in an amazing way um and i love that about epic destinies too and i would love if there was more than one major decision point in fifth edition as a player right and 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 having something like that at a high level would be dope yeah and 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 it makes the uh Min maxer is happy because it gives them one more area to <laughs> to try to maximize. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. And I, I I feel like the bastion system could be a, a you know very tangible foundation for that if they let it. Talk about the bastion system. Uh, it was something they released in Earth Arcana. Um, it's for the Upcoming. for the the DMG I think yeah. of uh, the 2024 release. But it's your stronghold system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a I have a lot of misgivings about the specific implementation, but the 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 dream that's driving them is real cool. Okay, it's real okay. cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, anything in Arthurcana, you don't know what it's going to look like in its final form, if anything. So, ain't that the damn truth? Right. That's true. I, I've been through enough of these things to 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 the point that at, I have reached a point with this set of, of unearthed arcana play testing, whatever you want to call it system that I've kind of stopped paying attention. I'm just waiting for the product to come out. So. Oh, they stopped releasing. So, you it's, know, fair. Well, they did do that a while ago. So, and all right, we've been talking for over an hour. Does anybody have any last thoughts or should we go ahead and wrap up? I, it's just going to do the talking more about metagaming bloodied. Oh Yeah. Yep, big fan of bloody. Yes, I mean yeah. we we literally use that now, not so much as a trigger for anything, but um, like we have stopped prefacing it with we don't have bloody in this edition because it is actually more explicit in the text again. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and here's the thing: it's not a it's not a condition. It's not a part of the rules of fifth edition. But I've been running almost all of my encounters using the encounter builder in D and D Beyond. And um, unofficially, they've kind of been doing bloodied in there all along because the icon yeah. for the monster gets all red and bloodied when it gets to half hit points. I'm like, well, that's yeah. just bloodied. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I don't oftentimes use the term bloodied because none of my players were fourth edition players and some of them have particular vitriol for the edition. Uh, but I will describe, you know, I, I will mention whenever they hit that bloody point, that half to half hit point thing, I will mention to them, oh, yeah, they're looking pretty ragged now. You really right. got them on the ropes. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I feel like um, the uh, 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 minions, too, are the other thing yeah. that I really liked from fourth edition, right? Creatures that went down in one hit. Uh, it's harder to it's harder to implement in uh in fifth edition because there are lots of little instances of instant damage like spike growth right that could just sort of lay waste to minions in a way that maybe wouldn't make sense um or spells like sleep suddenly become very powerful or color spray right that trigger off hit points so there are ways to to you would need to sort of think about i saw an interesting and unique solution to all of that in in a Mm. a product recently i think it was flea mortals have you heard of that I, I have not. I hear it was written by a hack, um, so I would not check it out. Uh, but uh, yeah, but but that's one of the things that I really loved, and I think there are ways to instantiate that. In, in Flea Mortals, what we say is like, hey, if you take damage as the result of an attack or a failed saving throw, 
you instantly die, right? Like that's that's basically how we t- how we instantiate minions, and then they have hit points for other effects still. Um, so yeah, that's uh, which is uh, it's really fun. It's just fun for players to cut down a bunch of zombies all at once, right? Like that's awesome. <laughs> it's it, it the the scene in my head is always like Conan the Barbarian or the Hulk, just sort of yeah. running through uh, the armies and just flinging you know, mooks to the side and, and not even give them a second thought. Look, well, if you've then, never played a Dynasty Warriors game, I'm here to tell you that feeling rules. <laughs> right? Okay. One cool one from 4th edition, also the takeaway from the minions, was the minions that exploded. Oh, uh, yeah! Uh, and then the other thing for Bloody Eat is you can um, not, again, not use it quite as literally... Uh, but it is particularly for a solo monster or something that was like the the big epic monster of a particular piece. Uh, it was a good way to change the encounter after a certain amount of time, and particularly if um, the the PCs happen to have something that just locked it down uh, right away. So, like in one of the adventures in Lost City, we had a plant. I had a plant monster. It was one big plant at the beginning, and then as soon as it got bloodied, it set out these um, shoots and now you had multi uh, nice. monsters that you had to go after. Um, yeah. Um, the, Watsi has done some of that in, in fifth between uh, like Aurel's three phases, which have been covered extensively in the Tome show, mostly through the arguments of Mike and Sam. <laughs> um, and uh, then uh, mythic creatures in Mythic Odysseys of Theros, um, and the the Wild Mount book, uh, the, or the the adventure, the Critical Role adventure they put out has a has a boss at the end that does that as well. That yeah, you, you see some just when this thing falls, the first time it falls to zero hit points, then this happens, right? Because they want to capture that boss phase situation. It's mm-hmm. very important. P- people like it. Multiple beat, m- multiple kind of narrative beats, right? I, I like it used sparingly. Uh, it, works okay. really, it works really well on occasion, but if you're doing it a lot, it, I think it turns into a, a grind. Okay. Hmm. So. All right. Anybody else have any burning last thoughts, or should I? Uh, can I go ahead and wrap things up? Well, I just want to say that um, around about 2018, I wrote a huge Twitter thread of things from 4th edition that had not yet been brought into 5th edition. It's still there. You have to go to Twitter. I'm sorry. <laughs> can't do anything about that. But if you want the document, I can just send it to you. You could ask nice. It, it, Sam put the whole thing in a single Word document. It's 500-something tweets. So Jeez. it's a lot of stuff. That wasn't but, a thread. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. It's It's got magic items. It's got monsters. Just... Anything that hadn't come in yet as of 2018. Um, but it's also about the kinds of things we talk about here. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Excellent. Cool. And if they want to reach out to you, though, well, we're going to talk in a second about how they can do so. Uh, but at the very least, they can hop on the Tome Show's Discord and ask you there. The best one. All right. Then let's go ahead and call that the end of the episode. We're going to thank James Intercasso for joining us. James, if people want to know more about what you're up to, where should they go? Uh, so people can... Uh, 
go to mcdmproductions.com. It's got links to all of our stuff. We're on all the socials. We have a Discord, all that good stuff. Uh, and me personally, I'm at twitter.com slash James and Chicasso or at slyflourish.com. You can check me out there. There you go. Uh, Brandon Stoddard, if they want to find you on the internet uh, or maybe reach out and ask you for that document, where can they go? Uh, you can find me on uh, Blue Sky, uh, brandastoddard.bsky.social. Um, I have not deleted my Twitter account. You can find me there at brandastoddard, but don't go to Twitter. Don't do it. <laughs> um, uh, I write for tribality.com. Uh, my personal blog is brandastoddard.com, and my Patreon is brandastoddard. There you go. I also want to thank everyone who supports us by being patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show especially our new patrons, Jason Hunter and Ben Faga, as well as some of our longtime stalwarts, Doug Palmer, Hyperlexic, Merrick Blackman, Leonard Pelche, and Michael Harrison. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send email thetomeshow at gmail.com and you can join our fantastic Discord server. You can find me and Jeff on social media. I'm Sarah Darkmagic on Blue Sky, Twitter, Instagram, lots of other places. Um, and Jeff is Squatch on Mastodon. Is it Dice Camp? Yep. I'm, I'm, I definitely have that account. Sky, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter, Threads, Discord. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Whatever. Right. Not Squatch on, on Twitch. On, odds are I'm Squatch on, on most things. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, and that we are going to call the end of episode 363, where we used all of our daily powers in this episode of. I'm <laughs> 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 <laughs>